Good morning, everyone. I just want to thank you for the opportunity to be with you, even if you didn't choose to have me here or not. Thank you for the welcome. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Trenton Walker. I'm Evan's little big brother, if that makes sense. You could just work that out. No, he's taller than me, but he, I'm his big brother. And if you know Evan, he helps uh, with running the things down here. I, I've been a pastoral apprentice with Church 21 for the past couple of years, uh, and I'm currently um, participating in the leadership team for the South Shore Congregation. Uh, and so uh, just as we get into today's text, I wanted to remind us of the words that Jesus often uses before presenting or sharing a parable. He often says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. So Jesus, he uses these words before speaking a parable, but what does it mean? Now, the idea of parables themselves, this is something that is a little unclear for the listeners in, in the time that Jesus spoke those parables. Even his disciples asked him, what, why do you speak in parables? What do they mean? And so Mark 4.11, uh, Jesus says to his disciples, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those outside, everything comes in parables. And so you may have heard an illustration about what a parable is, uh, something like maybe a parable is like a coconut. You can see the coconut, and you know that maybe there's something underneath that shell, uh, and there's, there's a, you don't have direct access to the, the fruit and the milk of the coconut under the shell. And so Jesus, he chose to reveal who he was by using parables, and only those who are given faith to understand the words of Jesus will actually have the desire to get to that fruit under the shell to get to uh, uncover who Jesus really is. And so this desire of going towards that fruit will ultimately lead to belief in Jesus and who he says he is, uh, Jesus, Lord, and Savior. And so this week in our passage, I just wanted uh, to remind us that Jesus is likely using a known saying uh, from the time, from his day, as a parable as we get into the first uh, part of the passage that Stephen just read. And, and believe me, a lot of people have really misunderstood what Jesus meant when he, when he spoke this parable. And so this circles back to the whole question I'm getting at here, where, where does the understanding come from? Is it Jesus who gives us the command to have ears to hear and also gives us the ability to understand? So before we get into our passage, I just wanted to pray that Jesus would give us ears to hear, that Jesus would help us understand and respond to what he is speaking to us today. So let's just pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just, I thank you for your word. Um, I confess that many times I, I misunderstand, I, I, I lack understanding, and I don't rely on the Spirit uh, to give me understanding. So I pray, God, that as we come before you today, that we would be humble, we would, we would desire ears to hear, and that, God, you would give us that, and that um, we would be able to properly respond to your word today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So just before we get into the passage, uh, I just want to remind us that last week we saw Jesus being under severe scrutiny and, and pressure. His teaching uh, among the, his Jewish audience was d creating a lot of controversy, and so among those whom he was teaching, he, the, there was a, a response of rejecting his teaching, rejecting his words, and ultimately rejecting Jesus. And so we see as the passage, 
passage continues, Jesus leaves that region of where he was ministering to a Jewish audience. And so it's important to understand this movement in Jesus' ministry uh, because he's first ministering to the Jews, and then when he's faced with constant rejection, he moves into a Gentile region. And uh, specifically, Mark tells us that this is Tyre. And Tyre is a region that has a long history of hostility towards the Jews. And so that's where our passage starts. Uh, Jesus, he got up and departed from there to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, but he could not escape notice. So it seems here that Jesus desires to find respite, to find rest from the opposition he's facing. And that opposition is coming from religious leaders, uh, his Jewish audience. And so he's going into this Gentile region, and perhaps his desire to be uh, unnoticed is so that he could focus on teaching his his disciples. Because up until this point, his disciples have generally failed to understand who he is. They've, they've failed to understand his mission, but they're quickly interrupted. M- Mark likes to use the, the word immediately, and we see it here as the passage continues. Mark 7, 25 through 26. Immediately after hearing about him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she was asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. So Jesus comes into this region, and at some point, this woman has heard of who Jesus is and has heard of what Jesus has done, and perhaps she has even heard how Jesus has freed other people of unclean spirits, which may have sparked a faith in her, a faith that brought her to Jesus' feet, believing that he could do the same for her daughter. And so she asks Jesus, like we just read, to cast the demon out of her daughter. And Jesus responds, let the children be fed first, because it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. So this is where we arrive at the words of Jesus. And these words, like I said, uh, were possibly a a saying from that time, a sort of proverb. Uh, And Jesus is using these words as a parable, but this doesn't make sense. Why would Jesus say, let the children be fed first because it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs? Is is he using a degrading statement? There's been questions revolving around this text, what Jesus is doing. And and some have even said that Jesus sinned in using a degrading statement and putting down this Gentile woman. Because it is true that in those days, the Jews would refer to Gentiles as dogs. And the question is, is this what Jesus is doing? Jesus uses this, this saying as a, a parable, and he has a very important emphasis, and I'm going to get to that. Uh, and in, in the years uh, moving towards uh, pastoral ministry, uh, learning to preach, I never thought I would use Greek in a sermon. I haven't been to seminary. I, I'm actually being trained through Church 21 and the academy they have uh, within the church. And I, I haven't spent a lot of time studying Greek, but this week I'm like, oh, this is the week that I have to use Greek in, in a sermon. Because... The Greek word for dog that a Jewish person would have used towards a Gentile to refer to them as, as unclean uh, or, or separated uh, would be kon, okay? That's the Greek word for dog that the Jewish people would have used in a degrading way towards the Gentiles. And it's important to know that Jesus didn't use that word kon, which means uh, 
an unkept street dog associated with uncleanliness because they ate garbage and corpses. This is the word the Jews would have used. This is not the word that Jesus used. And even in other parts of scripture, this word, kon, for unclean, uh, an unclean dog that's unkept, that's been used in other references, and this is not the word that Jesus uses. So Jesus is being very intentional with the word he's using, and now we get this kind of, this, this reference in a sense to when Jesus speaks parables, he often says, let those who have ears to hear, let him hear. So the question is, is this woman going to see this emphasis that Jesus is making? Is she going to understand that he's saying something different than what it looks like on the surface? And so the word that Jesus uses in this parable in reference to dog is canarion, which refers to a small dog that could be kept as a house pet. Okay? So there's implications to that. Jesus is not using the word kon, which means an unkept, unclean street dog. He's using the word canarion, which means a small house pet, basically. And so Jesus, he, he speaks to the woman in a way that's clear that his ministry is to the Jews first. And the Bible is clear in that, that Jesus came to the Jews, then the Greeks. So his ministry is to the Jews first, but in his wor- use of the word canarion for the, in reference to dog, is inferring that all people, including this woman, that come to faith in Jesus, come in to the family unit. They're under the same authority, under the same master of the house. Okay, and so this woman, she might have come to Jesus knowing that he was a Jew, maybe even expecting to be called a Gentile dog, but this isn't what Jesus calls her. Jesus calls her part of the family in using the word canarion. And so Jesus is giving this woman a clue, a a reason for hope, a reason for faith in him. And the woman's response in the passage is one of understanding, one of humility, and one of faith. She uses the same word, canarion, when she refers to herself and her daughter in her response to Jesus. Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. So I just need to make it clear that unlike the misunderstandings around this text, this woman, she's not standing up to Jesus. She's not confronting him about using a degrading term because he didn't use a degrading term. The woman understands that the reference to dog that Jesus used was one of belonging to the family. And she affirms her desire to be under the authority of the master of the house. She humbly accepts the position of not being Jesus' primary ministry. And so you need to hear this. She expresses faith that just a crumb of the bread that the master of the house offers was more than sufficient to meet her needs. She was not asking for an equal place at the table. She's not asking for the whole loaf of bread. She's not asking for a slice. She knows that none of that is necessary because if the master of the house is saying that you belong to the family, that's all you need. And this is the truth that Jesus has given this woman the ability to hear and to understand. And so her response is one of humility, one of faith, and one of understanding. And Jesus says, because of this reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. Jesus, he came to the earth to restore the broken relationship between God and man. And there's a common theme in his ministry. He addresses the spiritual need before the physical. 
He addresses the need to submit oneself to the authority of Jesus, of, of God, before he addresses the need, the physical need. And so this woman's response, she's showing us that she's heard the words of Jesus, she understood, and she submits to his authority. She submits to his lordship. And she declares her belief in Jesus as Savior. And in, a, in the parallel passage in Matthew, uh, Jesus says, Woman, your faith is great, acknowledging that she has come to faith in him as Lord, as master of the house, and she has understood. And so this woman, understanding uh, and in humility and faith, uh, this example that we see in her is a call to hear the words of Jesus, to seek understanding, and to respond in humility and faith. And so I just want to say those, those other ways that people have taught this passage, I think it's a cop-out. Because this passage is demanding to come before the lordship of Jesus, come under his authority as master of the house. And people want to say that this passage is Jesus basically sinning, using a degrading term of, uh, about this Gentile woman and then repenting when he says, because of this reply, you may go. This isn't what happened. Jesus is calling this woman to submit herself before his authority, and she's, he's saying that she belongs to the family, and she accepts that. She understands what he's saying. And so we, likewise, are called to humbly respond to the words of Jesus. But we can't. We're often deaf to the deeper meaning of the implications of Jesus' uh, Jesus's word. And his own disciples, like I said, they were struggling with understanding who he really was. And so why are you here today thinking that you're better than the disciples of Jesus that walked with Jesus, that sat directly under his teaching? They saw his ministry. They saw miracles. Mark is presenting us with this reality as we move into the next part of the passage. And so I'll just read that again for you. And if you want to read along, it's Mark 7, 32 to 35. They brought him a deaf man who had difficulty speaking and begged Jesus to lay his hands on him. So he took him away from the crowd in, in private. After putting his fingers on the man's ears and spitting, he touched his tongue. Looking up to the heavens, he sighed deeply and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be open. Immediately his ears were open, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak clearly. This man is brought before Jesus. Deaf and mute. And it's a picture of how we are in our, in our position before Jesus. We're deaf and mute in our understanding of the words of Jesus, our ability to respond to his words. And now this man was not blind. So a question is, when he sees Jesus, does he know who Jesus is? Does he know who he's looking at? Because Jesus heals this man in a very particular way. We just saw Jesus say to the, the woman, uh, because of this reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. So Jesus freed this woman's daughter of a demon. And we, we don't know if he was with that daughter or if he, if he was at a great distance. It doesn't show that specific uh, closeness in the text. But then we see Jesus being very close, very intentional with this deaf and mute man. And so some speculate that the man seeing Jesus and knowing of him made gestures to his mouth and his ears to try to communicate to Jesus his desire for healing. And whether or not that's true, I do believe that Jesus had compassion on this man, knowing that he could not hear his words. Jesus made these gestures of healing so that the man could understand 
that Jesus understood him, (laughs) that Jesus understood his need. And so think about that. A man that's lived his life unable to understand others in in normal ways, unable to be understood by others because of his speech impediment. He is being shown in a way that he can understand that Jesus is going to care for his need, that Jesus has the power to give physical ears the ability to hear. And that's where we need to pause because this is where we see a picture. Jesus is showing that he has the power to give physical ears the ability to hear. And how much more does he have the power to give spiritual ears the ability to hear and to understand his word? So he speaks a command to the deaf man, a command that he can't even hear, because this command is directed to the physical body. As we've seen in previous passages, Jesus has authority to command nature, to bring nature under his authority when he calms the winds and the waves. And Jesus is bringing this man's body under his authority when he speaks to the physical, because the man can't hear him. And the physical creation responds. The Bible says, uh, Mark 7, 35 uh, through 36, immediately his ears were open. After Jesus spoke these words, Ephatha, be open, immediately his ears were open, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak clearly. He ordered them to tell no one, but the more he ordered them, the more they proclaimed it. So before bringing restoration, this man was deaf to the words of Jesus. And without restoration to our spiritual brokenness, The reality is that we're deaf to the words of the Bible. We can't respond. We can't understand because we do not have spiritual restoration. We do not have ears to hear like Jesus commands because we are deaf in our sin. We rebel against God. We desire and we worship creation, created things instead of the creator of all things. And in our pride, in our own abilities, we are brought into a place of separation from God. And there's nothing we can do to resolve this. We try. We look for ways to find life in in things that ultimately bring death. We try to find satisfaction in things that leave us hungry for more. We, We try to follow our own ways, and our own ways lead to death. And so this is where this passage is bringing us to a good news. The good news is in Jesus. And this good news brings reason for hope. Hope that we can have ears to hear. Hope that we can have restoration in our life. The Ephesians 2 8 says, For you are saved by grace through faith. This is not of yourselves, it is God's gift. So, this Gentile woman that we, we see in the passage, she was outside of God's promise to the Israelites, the promise of salvation to the Israelites. And we in sin are outside of God's promise of, of care in our lives. And we are outside of being called children of God. And this woman, through the words of Jesus, is given faith to receive salvation. She's welcomed into the family of God by the words of Jesus, and she responds. And so this is what we see here. Jesus gives the ears to hear, and then his words require a response. And so what, just to speak clearly, you are being invited into salvation through the words of Jesus that are, are taught and are presented here. And so that salvation doesn't come from your own doing, You can't find it on your own. God gives you the faith to be saved. Salvation and and this this saving, this salvation, it's it's from searching for life in things that bring death. It's uh, from looking for ways to be satisfied and and, and then ultimately, ultimately being left 
hungry. It's, it's being saved from following ways that lead to death. And so in grace, meaning receiving something you don't deserve, God offers a gift. He gives faith to understand his words, faith to receive salvation. And so in Jesus today, that what's being presented is that you can receive salvation in Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And so you might be wrestling with this teaching. You might be wrestling with what, what's being presented right now. And I just want to say I appreciate that you're just here, that you're engaging with this and that with this passage. And I, I just wanted you to consider what would it look like uh, for being invited from the outside. God is calling you into being in his family by his grace. Because in sin, we have no claim on God's blessing, but in grace, we are given the ability to respond. We're given faith to believe in Jesus. In grace, you are brought in. Just like that woman was told that she is being invited into the family unit, (laughs) in the words of Jesus. So, and then as this passage continues, uh, we we are seeing it close with the feeding of the 4,000. And so this is where we see kind of a bookend to all of this. Because we, we saw it starting off with Jesus uh, wanting to teach his disciples. And we see it ending with kind of a question of, do they understand now? Will they respond with the, with the faith that he desires? Uh, and just before we look at that, I just remind you that a few weeks ago, we saw Jesus doing a very similar thing. It's almost like a deja vu. Jesus preached, and then he fed 5,000 people. And this was majorly a Jewish audience. And, and it shows us that Jesus had compassion on these people. He didn't want to send them away without feeding them. And now Jesus is with a majorly a Gentile audience. And so this is showing us that in the same way as we get to this passage, he will not send them away without caring for them in the, for their every need. He has compassion and he has a desire to provide for Jews and Greeks is what we're seeing here in this passage. And so in Mark 8, 1, it says, In those days... There was again a large crowd, and they had nothing to eat, and he called the disciples. So here's where we get that clue. He called the disciples. He's bringing the disciples over. We're seeing the the question kind of arise here, like, how are they going to respond? They just saw this. Uh, And what we see here is, sadly, they are not understanding what's going on. But the question is starting to surface, will will the disciples understand? Uh, And so Jesus calls them over, and he says to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they've already stayed with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way. And some of them have come a long distance. So Jesus, he is showing his compassion and his care for the crowd and the realization that he, he knows they need divine intervention. He, he's not only concerned for what's in front of him when the crowd is seated there, but he's also concerned for what would happen to them when they left. And so the crowd, they followed Jesus without any food or provision, and they were feasting on the spiritual food that Jesus offered. And they, Jesus, being the bread of life, was feeding them with the words of life. And now the crowd is, is no longer thinking of their physical needs. They're not thinking, how will we get home without food? They're fully captivated by Jesus. And so the disciples, they have recently seen Jesus provide for just a crowd like this. And one of them should have been saying or thinking, like, is this a deja vu moment? Like, Peter, didn't this just happen? Uh, and the, what we see in the response of the disciples is that they still don't understand who they're with. 
They don't have that clarity. We go through the same motions. Where are we going to get the food? Then Jesus saying, is there any food at hand? And so they just don't get it. And that's what Mark is showing us here. Mark wants the reader to stop and ask the question, how is it possible that the disciples have been with Jesus all this time, have seen what he's done, and they don't know who he is? I'm reading this, and I'm seeing that Jesus is the Messiah. How do they not understand? And this is the point that everything has been leading up to. Jesus, he doesn't want to send the disciples home without providing, uh, the, the crowd home, without providing for their needs. And Jesus, in his compassion for you, he has provided for the needs that you're not even thinking about. In sin, we're not going to make it to our desired destination. We will perish in sin. And Jesus, in his perfect life, his sacrificial death and on your behalf and his resurrection has provided the only way to life. And so the question now is, will you find your hope in Jesus? This may be the moment that God is giving you faith for the first time to believe in the words of Jesus and to respond in a humble way, to receive the gift of salvation that he's offering you. John 1.12 says, But to all who received him, he gave, he gave the right to become children of God. As I was preparing this sermon, I, I just thought about a question here. When Jesus healed the deaf or when he healed the blind, what did it sound like or look like to them? How, how would they describe it? And we see some biblical examples that they, they, don't, they don't have words to describe it. They just say, all I can say is once I was blind and now I see, or now I, I couldn't hear and now I can hear. And so we, we honestly cannot see the way or, or hear the way that Jesus is is interceding on our behalf. We don't understand how Jesus can take a sinner and give them salvation, but he does. So do you understand today that this salvation is being offered to you? This is the response that this passage is leading us to. And I know that here today, many of you have received this gift of salvation that Jesus offers and that you know your place under the master as his child. So what is your response to the text? You may have noticed that I didn't really uh, spend much time looking at how Jesus gave the deaf man ears to hear and a tongue to speak. So I want to talk about that tongue to speak right now. What was the, this deaf and mute man's response to Jesus' healing, the, to his work in his life? He proclaimed it. He proclaimed it. And, and the more Jesus asked him to, to be quiet, the more he proclaimed what Jesus had done in his life. And today, Jesus is not asking you to be quiet about what he's done in your life. He's calling you to proclaim it. He's pro calling you to proclaim it loudly to anyone who would have ears to hear the work that Jesus has done in your life. So as we come to a close, I have a few questions of reflection. And we'll, we'll kind of look at each of these accounts in, in this reflection. Leaving here today, how would you walk out of this building if you were the mother of the passage and that you had been told that you were a part of the family of God? And then you return home to see that Jesus had cared for you in every way. Maybe you're experiencing reason to hope in Jesus right now, but you feel like an outsider. Jesus, through his grace, is calling you to be part of his family. You belong. 
He wants to give you that assurance that you're not separated from what he's offering you. And if you were the deaf and mute person, how would you be reconciling the impossible outcome of your meeting with Jesus? You had been deaf and mute, and now you can hear and you can speak. Well, for us today, maybe you've been wrestling long enough with wondering who Jesus is. And what if he really is who he says he is? And how could that be possible? There's only a certain point that reading scripture and logic can get you in understanding who Jesus is. At a certain point, Jesus speaks these words, Ephatha, over you. And your ears are open to understand the work that he's done on your behalf. And he gives you the, the ability to respond in belief. And maybe that is happening today. Don't leave here today without coming before Jesus and responding in humility and faith and receiving this gift of salvation that he's offering you. My prayer for you is that today your ears would be open. And lastly, how would you return home knowing as the crowd knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus sees you and he has compassion over you. And he desires, he desires to provide for you in ways that you don't even know to ask for, ways that you're not even thinking about. I'm going to speak for myself. That understanding gives me peace. I've got peace in the, in the compassion that Jesus has for me. And my question is, can anyone here today use some peace? Did anyone walk in here today with fears and anxieties about the rest of the afternoon, about what tomorrow holds, this compassion that Jesus shows to the crowd shows us that Jesus has it taken care of. And your, your response is to walk home in peace. Because I, I'm going to just, I'm asking these questions because I want to acknowledge that I, I would not be able to walk home today. I would not want to, I would not want to continue if I knew that all I was returning to was a life that was bringing death, trying to find satisfaction in things that would leave me hungry for more, and trying to follow ways that never brought me what I was looking for, that ways that were just bringing me to death. I wouldn't leave here. So my prayer for you today is that you will leave here with a hope in Jesus as the only way, the only truth, the only life. Jesus that casts out all fear and anxiety. Jesus that can open deaf ears and that can open a closed heart to hear his words and respond and receive salvation. And in Jesus, you can leave here and know that you are a child of the living God. And nothing in the world can change that. So my question is, how are you leaving here today? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the understanding that you give. I thank you for the ability to believe that you give, uh, the, the, to believe in you, that you give. And God, I pray that our response today would be more faith in you. Our response would be a deeper understanding of the work that you do uh, on, on our behalf, the work that you do to care for us when we don't even know that we need it. The, the, the tomorrow problems that you're thinking about that we aren't. And God, I pray that we would leave here with an assurance uh, that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and that you have brought us into your family. 
and you are caring for us. And Jesus, I just pray these things in your name. Amen.